every year, once in the autumn and once in the spring, there's a huge weather system that sweeps clear across northern Africa. Some say it starts over Egypt, others say it starts over somewhere in the Sahel, and it sweeps clear across huge, huge, powerful force of wind that drives sand and produces cyclones right across to the east over Iran, Iraq, Syria, and eventually Palestine and Israel. Simultaneously, another system forms over Turkey, somewhere over Turkey and drives south, also hitting those same regions, ending up in Palestine and Israel. Such a, a massive climactic weather system that it can produce um, the effects of dust storms as far away as Rome, where at certain times of year, the city can seem to be inundated with a red-orange fog. The fact that these two come together in their power is phenomenal. It's a real force of nature. Uh, in the process, it lifts some 40 million tons of dust from the earth and drives it 5,000 kilometers away to the Amazon producing one of the most fertile regions in the world. And it is a real force to be reckoned with in terms of human existence. Uh, British troops in World War II came up against Rommel's Africa Corps, but that actually wasn't the only obstacle. This, these dust storms, these cyclones, also made life incredibly dif difficult. Raised the, the surface temperature of the Earth to about 55 degrees Celsius, created 900 meter walls of sand through which no battalion could move through. And in fact, some men lost their lives as a direct result of these sandstorms. It was a similar experience for Napoleon troops. Uh, and it was a similar experience for Allied troops during the Iraqi invasion. This real force of nature, and in fact, uh, while meteorologists and climate scientists have studied this and, and documented this. Our knowledge of this event goes even further back to the Bible. And in fact, it's this sandstorm, this Hamsin in Egyptian, that is credited with being uh, the storm that drove the Red Sea wide as Moses raised his arms, creating a part, a land channel, for the Israelites to pass through. It's been known, this Hamsin, to dissipate after three days. So where the tides have been pushed back, suddenly they come back in. And it's no doubt that Pharaoh's armies found themselves inundated by the waters of the Red Sea. What a demonstration of power. To know that God is still doing this same thing. He's doing new things, but he's doing this same thing and has been doing it for thousands of years. And we're still documenting this thing as a force of nature. And the amazing thing about it is anybody who's there who sees it can't deny what they're seeing, this force of nature. Any human being can be a witness to this power of God. 
It's in the prophecy of Joel that we see the same climate event mentioned again. But what's so fascinating is that he describes it in such a completely different way, and yet he's referencing that same force of nature that drove Pharaoh's armies to destruction. Joel uses a particular word in the Hebrew. It's ruach, wind, but really more of a driving wind that's a kind of breath. It is a divine breath. It is the, the very breath of God. This is the breath of God. It's His Spirit. It's life. And it's the same breath of God mentioned in Genesis 1, at the beginning of God's creating of the heavens and the earth, when the earth was wild and waste, darkness over the face of the ocean, the rushing spirit, the ruach of God, hovering over the face of the waters. And again, in Isaiah 63, they remembered the ancient days, him, God, who pulled his people out of the water, Where is he who brought them up from the sea along with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put in their midst his Holy Spirit, his Ruach, his breath? This breath, this spirit is life and he leads the people of Israel out of darkness, out of slavery, out of captivity, into freedom. He doesn't wait. You know, he, he doesn't put things on pause or hold. You know, listen, guys, redemption's coming, but you're just going to have to wait a while. You're going to have to wait till the final judgment. You're going to have to wait till the resurrection. According to Joel, that never happens. He doesn't wait. And there's a temptation to read Joel as this kind of apocalyptic deadly voice who's talking about the second coming or the destruction of the earth or the coming of the Antichrist. Be careful what you view on YouTube. Don't trust all that stuff out there, okay? Reality is those stories, those takes on Joel reduce the power of his prophecy. They, they diminish what he's trying to say. So what is he trying to say? You know, to think of Joel in the way that I'm describing, and maybe that's the challenge, to think of what he's saying, is saying that there's no evidence here that God is is somehow withholding his saving power till some far-off date. And if I'm right, and I, and I think I am, because I base a lot of this on study and scholarship and the Holy Spirit and, I'm, and what others have taught, if I'm right, what does that mean for us? What might God's Spirit be doing right now? This very minute. I think it might mean that the revival that Joel promises, that's possible not tomorrow or at the end of time. 
but today. Let's just think about that for a moment, that that is possible today, this minute. I will repay you, Joel says, about God for the years the swarming locust has eaten. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redeem those years. The years of loss, the years of suffering, the years of, of isolation and loneliness and illness and sickness and death. The years of hardship. God says, I'm going to redeem all of those. And more than that, you will eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. So it's not just a leveling of the ledger. It's not just a kind of adding up the sums out of loss. It's multiplication of blessing and gift. Joel is telling us that this is imminent. It's happening. It's, it's our present reality. And you know, and, and that's <laughs> that scary bit in verse 30, um, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and everyone who calls on my name will be saved. Well, this is, this is guys, this is stuff that's already happened. Joel, Joel is, he's not prophesying here. He's saying this is the reality of what God is actually doing and what he's done in the life of the Israelites. We should be thinking of the plagues in Egypt, the rivers of blood, of how the Israelites were led through the wilderness with a column of smoke, which is the angel of God. The sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood because this great Hamsin, this storm, this breath, has swept through. And so what seems like a terrifying image is actually for the Israelites an image of salvation and redemption and freedom because it's with this force that God leads his people out of captivity. Joel isn't trying to scare us. He's trying to show us of God's promise that has been accomplished. And we need to see that and we need to hear it. In Hebrew, it is Ruach Hadim, breath from the east, with terrifying signs and wonders, but uh, these are life-giving for the Israelites. Now, we, you know, in our present-day context, we have the choice. You know, we, we can ignore the Spirit of God. We can ignore the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that He's not active, that He's around that he's building, doing, creating relationships, doing the same things he's been doing for thousands of years. But if it's not a problem of what the Holy Spirit is or is not doing, it may actually be a problem of what we're equipped and willing to see. The question is, when we see the power of God, the actual power of God, what goes through our head? What do we think? What do we believe? Is this just another dust storm? 
Or is this Ruach Hadim? Is this the breath of God? Is it God? Or is it just coincidence? It just so happens that I don't really believe in coincidence. I don't believe it's a coincidence that I got back from Afghanistan unharmed. I don't believe it's a coincidence that at my lowest after the war when I was trying to pick up the pieces, I don't believe it's a coincidence I heard a voice calling to me literally out of the wilderness. I don't believe it's a coincidence that the voice that led me out of that wilderness still speaks to me, and I don't believe it's a coincidence that that is when I started reading the Bible. And I don't believe it's a coincidence that I began to feel some of God's pain in that situation when he looks at the world and some of his overwhelming joy at being our Father. And I don't believe it's a coincidence that I really started to pray, really started to pray out of desperation, out of hope, out of joy and out of pain, out of anxiety. And I don't believe it's a coincidence that the hope I began to feel for my life was what God wanted. I don't think that was a coincidence. And I certainly don't think that it's a coincidence that I'm here today speaking to you in the middle of a pandemic. The reality is, Jesus is here. He's here. He's where you are. He's in this, what we're doing. As real as daylight, as real as life, as, as real as breath itself. And it's true, I think, what they say, that you don't find many atheists in foxholes. I think it's true. And maybe, you know, maybe I was fortunate in a way to have some hard realities of life taught to me so that I could see the distinction between what is true and what is not, between what is life and what is not. But the reality is people are are getting healed all the time. You know, these signs and wonders that Joel talks about. Being, people are being saved. People are being delivered from evil spirits. And, and some of this, by the way, is happening in this community. Let's just put a name on it. Jesus is active doing those things in Lark Hall, in Swainswick. In what, he's doing those things where we are. But will we have eyes to see it? Or are they just going to be dust storms to us? And my question is, just that. Are we going to see this for what it is? The breath of God? Or is it just another storm? Because at a certain level, we, have to, we do have to make a choice. When it comes to it, we, we have to make a conscious decision. Are we going to believe this thing or not? Are we going to believe this proposition that Joel has for us? Or are we not?
Now I suppose, as I said, I had this luxury of being confronted by some realities about my own life. I don't really believe for a second, actually though, that there aren't a lot of us who haven't had those same kinds of experiences, who haven't had the kinds of experiences that have really tested us, that haven't had the kinds of experiences that questioned our ability to have control over our own lives. I think there are lots of us actually who at some point in our lives have come across that point where we thought, I'm not in control. I don't have things hardwired in the way that I thought that I did. I think there are lots of us in that boat. So let's go back and listen to what Joel is really saying. What if I told you that everything in your life has been leading up to this point, to these, these very words that Joel has, and that they're for you? You know, I think it'd be great if you just listen to these words for a moment in the Hebrew and, and see if you can pick out Joel's words, particularly when he's mentioning Ruach, this breath of God. Let's listen for this. Now what if I told you after having listened to this that these words are the very words that Joel has written through the power of the Holy Spirit for you and your life today, right now. In all of his experience of God's power, in all of his faith and conviction, let, let's just let Joel speak confidence into our life about that. You know, God's plan, his, his big cosmic plan, is actually to repay you for the years that were eaten up by the locusts so that you'll eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God. That is God's big cosmic plan for your life and for the world. You know, I, I don't believe that revival starts in the pulpit. Not for a second. I think it starts when the greatest among us and the least of among us get down on our knees and ask for God to come and be with us. Redemption only starts at the point that we're willing to ask for it. If we're too proud, if we're deluded that we're in control of our lives, we're not inviting God in. We're just not. But if we have the courage to say, you know, God, I'm, I'm not in control. I can't control these facets of my life. I can't control my finances. I can't control my relationships. I can't control my marriage. I can't control my friendships. Then actually, that's the invitation 
for God to step in and not just to even the ledger books, but to multiply blessings in your life. This is what it means to have God repay for the years that the, the locusts have eaten. And so yes, I, I do feel lucky. I have been absolved of any illusion that I can be master and commander of my own life. And I'm so grateful that that lie has been buried six feet under a stone-cold, empty tomb somewhere outside of Jerusalem. And so in some ways, maybe it was easy for me. I, I don't know. But you know what? I do know this. I want those years back. The years that I lost, I want them back. And I want God to do something about that. And you know, I feel like He is. The more years of life I have on this earth, the more I feel that God is doing something to redeem my past, to bring some element of goodness and wholeness out of what I went through. And in the midst of that, to build this tapestry, this picture of joy. What an amazing thing to have your tragedy, your loss, your depression transformed into joy. That's what it means to have your years restored. We can really be satisfied. And what Jesus really desires is for us to identify him, to say, Lord, you are my God. You are my God. This isn't some abstraction or intellectual concept. Jesus is my God. And all the power, all the restoration, all the redemption and revival, I want that in my life, and I want it today. Thank you very much. And God says, I can do something with that. I can take that that you have, all that hurt, all that damage and brokenness, and I can take that and I can flip it, and I can redeem that. And your story of which you may have been ashamed, of which you may have been embarrassed, God says, I can take that story and I can make it a noble story so that when you share it, people will stand in awe of the power of God to transform lives. And that can be true of your life. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Joel says this is possible and it's possible today. This is the God who leads people out of darkness, out of slavery and into freedom. And you know, I want that. That is what I want in my life. And I've talked to enough of you to know I think you want that too. I think we all need it. So here's me practicing what I preach. 
I'm just going to take a moment and pray. And I'm going to pray like scared people pray. I'm going to pray like people pray who are afraid. I'm going to pray like a soldier in a foxhole. <laughs> and I happen to think that it's probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest, form of prayer. And you don't have to do it now. You can join me if you know. And if you don't want to, try this later. Go in, a, go in a room on your own. Close the door. Lower the blinds. And do this thing. It's very easy. You know, when you're down here, chances are you may find that God is down here with you. Don't be surprised by that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you on our knees. We declare in front of you that we are willing today to receive you as our God, our Lord. May your name be praised, Jesus Christ. Fill us with your breath, Holy Spirit, your breath, which is life and goodness and joy and restoration and redemption and, yes, revival. And in the name of Jesus himself, whose power is limitless, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.